Hey ladies, welcome back to the show. On today's episode, we are going to dig into this idea of dieting. We're going to dig into the history of dieting and some of the more popular diets that are out there today. And then lastly, we'll just kind of talk about how to make whatever you choose fit into your life. Okay, so as we start this episode, I wanted to really just touch base with you about this this idea of dieting. So I think for most of us, dieting tends to be this cycle of like, oh, I'm going to start eating differently, I'm going to lose weight, and I'm going to then have a plateau, and then I'm progressively going to gain weight back, maybe even more than I did before. So I wanted to really dig into what the term diet means because I think we use dieting interchangeably. So two definitions that stood out to me from Merriam-Webster was a food and drink regularly provided or consumed. And then the second was a regimen of eating and drinking sparingly so as to reduce one's weight. So I think a lot of times we, we use them interchangeably of like, oh, my diet in terms of how I eat every day and that I'm on a diet that I am, you know, trying to lose weight. So I wanted to really start thinking about like how dieting even started. We know that dieting industry is billions and billions of dollars and that it's been around for a long time. I personally didn't realize that dieting has been around for as long as it has been. So dieting is nothing new. It's been around as far back as the ancient Greeks and crazily enough the first diet book was written in the 1500s called the art of living long and it's still around i think you can even find it on amazon the art of living long by luigi cornero so it was a man who was italian who decided that he wanted to lose weight and his diet was consisted of 12 ounces of food a day and 14 ounces of wine so now since that time there's just been like so many diet books based on just so many different things and it has varied according to time a lot of diets have come in and out of fashion so I was looking back at the last like 100 years or so of dieting and some of the ones that I could find were in the 1930s a grapefruit diet the 1950s the cabbage soup diet the 1960s Weight Watchers came about the 70s was slim fast The 80s was Jenny Craig, The Cookie Diet, and Optifast. 1990s was Zone and Atkins, and the 2000s, there's a plethora, some of which are the South Beach Diet, Ketogenic, Whole Food, Paleo, and and I think even intermittent fasting has been around for a long time, and we're actually going to talk about that next week. Um, But anyway, there's a plethora of different diets. So when we talk about diets, I want to just kind of explain this, like, um, I want to kind of just explain like a very simplified version of, of what I'm thinking about when I'm thinking about diets. So there are three macronutrients that typically we need in order to get all of our calories and nutrition in. The macronutrients are carbohydrates, fat, and protein. And actually, I feel like people do the macro diet a lot now. That's something else we can add to that. So with macronutrients, typically, you know, they vary according to what you need, according to person, according to life, 
um, life, where you're at in your life, according to physical activity, there's just lots of different things. But the recommendation or just like a like a standard that can be modified is that 50% of what you eat is carbohydrates, 30% fat, 20% protein. That varies. Again, there's lots of variations to that. But what that looks like is that if you're if you're eating a 1500 calorie diet, 750 calories of that is carbs, 450 of that is fat, and 300 calories of that would be protein or 75 grams of protein. So different diets have different percentages of these standards. That's the main thing, right? So it's not going to be this, the carbohydrate fat protein content will be different. Most of these diets have a, a, have a smaller amount of carbohydrates in them. So you know, when I'm thinking about these different diets, I wanted to go into, because this was published recently, the best diets for 2023. And I think, again, I'm, I'm going to talk about the top three, which ends up being the top four because two of them are tied. But one of the things that I wanted to point out is that these four that I'm going to talk about aren't like what you think about in terms of regular diets. They're not asking you to they're not asking you to take out any food groups. They're not asking you to not eat different food that are off limits. They're not asking you to, um, they're really not asking you to do anything different. It's just really like a pattern of eating. And the emphasis on these four that I'm going to talk about is, is like the, a pattern of eating that's going to help reduce your risk of chronic disease or manage any chronic disease that you already have. And the goal here is for it to be a lifestyle change, to be flexible. It's not saying you can't eat potato chips. It's not saying that you can't eat donuts and cookies. It's just saying on most days, try to eat these foods. So that's one of the differences in the four that I'm going to talk about. So the first one is the Mediterranean diet, right? Traditional way of eating in Mediterranean countries. There's lots of Mediterranean countries. So what this looks like is very dependent on whatever country that you live in. As a rule, it tends to be mostly plant-based. These four that I'm going to talk about are mostly plant-based. So that's going to mean that there's a high composition of fruits and veggies, whole grains, beans, nuts, seafood. You can have lean poultry. You're going to have some dairy in there and you're going to have some fat in there. Most of the fat is going to come from oils like extra virgin olive oil, things like that. There is occasional red wine, although I think that may be more than occasional, depending on whatever country you're in. And then you're also, there is also like that you can have sweets and, and meat and things like that. Why the Mediterranean diet is really helpful is again, it doesn't have an associated portion size, you're not counting calories. So it tends to be flexible. All of these diets of the four, because they're all plant-based and they have a, you know, the emphasis on fruits and veggies, they tend to be higher in fiber, which is good. It helps reduce different diseases, keeps you regular. And what this Mediterranean diet is not, I think in a lot of Westernized cultures, and especially in the US, it's like this way of like, oh, I'm going to have a big plate of pasta with processed cheese. That is not the Mediterranean diet. It's different. So if you want to know more about the Mediterranean diet, I actually did a whole episode, episode 103 on the Mediterranean diet. So go check that out. The second diet is the DASH diet. And the DASH is the acronym for Dietary Approaches to Stop Hypertension. Hypertension is blood pressure. So this is an evidence-based diet that decreases your blood pressure. The DASH diet is similar to the Mediterranean in that it is focused on lean meats 
it's focused on chicken fish beans your high portion of veggies and fruit um, but the big thing is trying to limit the amount of salt that you have right so you're going to try to really not eat as many processed foods so one of the things that we know about high blood pressure is that um, eating foods that have high that are high in salt increase the blood pressure so this food group is going to be this diet is going to be trying to limit the amount of processed foods and really trying to limit the amount of um, of like added sugars, fat, and in general salt. So one of the things that it also emphasizes is it emphasizes nuts. And the DASH diet, each of these diets are different and they have like these different nuances or these different proportion of different food items that help eliminate or reduce or manage whatever chronic disease is here. And so because for for the DASH diet, we're trying to um, help with blood pressure, there are different nuts that they emphasize to use. And those nuts provide potassium, magnesium, and calcium, which has been shown to help lower blood pressure. Um, I also did an episode on the DASH diet, episode 116, if you want to refer to that. I'm going through these quickly because I'm going to get into some other diets. And since I've already done episodes on these, I wanted to not spend so much time on them. I wanted to really spend time on some of the diets that I haven't done before, which will be after these four. So the flexitarian diet is called a flexible vegetarian diet. Um, It was more like, I guess from, I think it was founded or created by a dietitian. And this is basically like that you are able to eat meat, but then over time you start to replace the amount of red meat that you eat with non-meat proteins like peas and beans and eggs. So think about like um, if you're eating meat and then all of a sudden you have a meatless Monday, that's kind of like the whole idea around it, but then you're having more of those meatless days. And again, this is more like plant-based. It's not going to be based on calories. It's just a way of eating that's going to give you a wide variety of veggies and fruit. Veggies, fruits, whole grains is going to have all the different um, food groups. It's not eliminating anything. But we know that it over time, it's going to help manage your different chronic disease that you may have. And then lastly, of the four because the flexitarian and the DASH diet were tied for two. The number, the fourth one is the MIND diet, which I think is so fascinating. This is like a newer diet. So the MIND diet, I also did an episode on, episode 55, if you're interested in that. And that's a Mediterranean DASH diet combo. And this diet was developed by a nutritional epidemiologist um, at Rush University. And the emphasis on this is, again, it's plant-based, but the nuances of this is there's a focus on leafy greens, nuts, and berries, because what they've, what the research showed with this mind diet is a reduction in Alzheimer's and dementia. So this mind diet was, the research behind it was funded by the National Institute of Aging. And so what they found is, is that If people followed this particular diet or way of eating moderately well, then there was a reduction in Alzheimer's risk by about 35%. But for people who really adhered to it, like, you know, like for most of the time, and they adhered to it very vigorously, there was a reduction in Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's risk of 53%, which is 
pretty amazing. And so follow-up studies have suggested that there's also other um, cognitive, there's a cognitive impact that are really positive. So if that's something that, you know, that you are interested in, I would for sure check out that episode 55. So emphasizing that of those four diets, these probably aren't really diet diets that you're thinking of. They're probably more like on a way that you can reduce or manage your chronic risk based on a way of eating. And this way of eating isn't like that you have to really um, avoid anything. It's just that you can eat all the food groups, but there's more of these certain foods that can help reduce your risk of disease, whatever the disease that you have or that you're trying to reduce is. Now, as part of this U.S. News um, you know, best sides of 2023, there's this part of it that talks about Weight Watchers and Noom. So we're going to talk about that the next. So Weight Watchers and Noom tend to be the, um, the two that are used in terms of for weight loss. Weight Watchers, I think got like better results. And, um, I've done Weight Watchers before I've done Weight Watchers probably like, I would say probably like 10 years ago. And I found that it was great when I used it. And then when I went off of it, I would gain weight. And I also found that I would be really fixated on like the different numbers and the calorie range. So Weight Watchers and Nooms are similar in that they both, you're, you know, you're writing your calories down. You have to keep track of what you eat. But more recently, there is, I think more since Oprah kind of like became the spokesperson, or I guess she's more, she's like a stakeholder, not really a spokesperson. But since that time, there has been um, a change in their chief scientific officer. And that is run by, or that person is now Gary Foster. And Gary Foster is really big in the, um, he's a really big weight loss doctor. He's, he's, He's been involved in a lot of stuff in Philadelphia. Um, he used to work at Temple, and he's just been involved in different things in the weight industry for a long time and the research. So I think it's really interesting that he has now become that scientific officer, Weight Watchers. So we know that, that Weight Watchers has been deemed like the best weight loss diet as participants that did it were able to keep the weight off for greater than two years, which is great. Um, and the emphasis more recently with Weight Watchers has been that there's no foods that are forbidden um, and that you want to eat more foods that help decrease your risk of chronic disease, but you still have to keep moving, right? But one of the things with Weight Watchers is is that you still need to stick within your points. So, you know, I think you're still writing down whether you're doing calories in Noom or you're doing your points in Weight Watchers, you're still keeping track of that in order to be able to lose weight. Um, it is becoming more mindful based than it used to be. And I think one of the things about Weight Watchers and Noom that's helpful is there is a community support there. So you don't have to feel like you're doing it on your own. Um, you know, however you decide to do it, I think Weight Watchers, you can still do in person and they also have online. So the community support is really great. And if you're able to lose weight and keep it off, there is a reduction in heart disease and diabetes for both of these. Now, I would say one of the caveats for Weight Watchers is that you still have to focus on your points. So I know that when I did Weight Watchers back in the day, I would use up my points. And then if I had like zero or one point left, I would be like eating popcorn at the end of the night just so that I could like give myself and get, you know, to keep myself within that point range. So I think that for both of these programs, for Weight Watchers and Noom, I think that you have to really keep into consideration that 
if you are trying to heal your relationship with food, these might not be the way to do it. Now, Noom has more, like I think they touted as being based on like behavioral changes and that there's there's prompts there that they emphasize like the psychology of why you're eating. But they do have like a whole thing of like red, yellow, and green, like more foods to eat more of and more foods to eat less of and they also you're also logging your calorie range so if you feel like you're in a place that you're becoming over fixated on your points or your calories and that you're feeling like it's contributing to um, a hindrance to your relationship with your food then these this might not be the best way to go so early when I was first a dietitian, I would put people on like, um, my fitness pal or, um, or things like that, those different apps. And what I realized is that so many people get fixated on it that then there's no, and I do, I did it myself, even with this whole Weight Watchers example. So like I wasn't taking into consideration, like the nutrient composition of the food. I was more focused on like the endpoint and making sure that I could stay within my calorie range. So if you already have a relationship with food that is hindered, these might not be the best way to go if you find yourself that you're over fixating on it. Because what happens is, is that if you're depriving yourself of different food, then you may end up being in a place that you're like, you know, so strict with your calories and then you end up being like overindulgent and then you end up binging. And so the goal here is to try to figure out like what works best for you based on where you are right now. And so that's why at the beginning of the year, the end of the year, I released that that episode about um, why, like what you can learn from a failed diet. And this is some of it is like trying to figure out what your goal is right now with food. Is your goal to heal your relationship with food or is your goal something else? Like I had a patient recently who needed to lose a substantial amount of weight because she was in a lot of pain and she needed to maintain a certain calorie level so she could lose the weight to get the surgery that she needed, right? So for her, she doesn't have that time frame to have that. She she needs to probably lose weight faster in order to have the surgery to help repair the pain, the chronic pain that she's been in to have that surgery. And so I think it's just really trying to figure out like what works for you and what will work for you in the long term. And if healing your relationship with food is something that is at the top of your mind, these two things may not, these two approaches may not be something that benefits you, um, especially if you're going to be somebody who over fixates on the numbers and not on the composition of what it is that you're eating. And the last two diets that I want to talk about are the paleo and keto diets. And the reason why I wanted to talk about this, these two, is that, and we'll talk more than in the upcoming weeks about different things, but I wanted to focus on these because at the beginning of this episode, we talked about this macronutrient composition, right? We talked about this like kind of like generalization of like 50% of what you're eating is carbs for your whole daily calorie intake. 30% is protein and 20% is fat. Well, the paleo and the keto are going to have wide variations of these. And so the paleo diet is basically, if you haven't heard of it, it's based on this idea that you only eat the way that your ancestors ate. 
It's also called the caveman diet. And you'll see a lot of people, especially in the CrossFit space, um, doing this diet. It's it's really focused on lean protein. Usually in the CrossFit space, there's a lot of exercising going on, right? And a lot of pretty um, hardcore exercising. So protein ends up being something that's really important for this group because you're trying to um, replace any of the protein losses from all the heavy lifting and things that you're doing. And the emphasis is also on unprocessed foods. So that can be really great, right? Because you're focusing on veggies and fruits and things like that. But one of the things about this diet is that you, when you're doing this diet, you're avoiding things like artificial sweeteners and processed foods, which is great, but you're also avoiding things like potatoes and legumes and grains and dairy. So if you're somebody who is postmenopausal, like myself, and you're at risk for, um, you know, you're at risk that you're going to lose more and more bone bone mass, the further you are from menopause, this is probably going to be something that you don't want to do for the long term, especially if you're giving up dairy. And so why I wanted to talk about these two, that these two diets, as I feel like these are the two that I feel like most people are doing right now that are more extreme and have a lot more variations because you're eliminating different food groups. So it's okay for some of these things that you do it for the short term, but for the longer term, this is when kind of things get a little bit tricky. So if you're somebody who is like, okay, I'm going to do paleo, I'm going to give up greens and dairy. Sure, that might not be bad for the long for the short term, but for the long term, that can have some complications for you. So the benefits first are that when you're doing it for the short term, you can have a lower risk of diabetes because you'll probably lose weight um, and you're not eating as many grams of carbohydrates, right? So that 50% carbohydrates, you're doing less than that. So that will help lower your risk of diabetes. Um, it'll probably lower your risk of inflammation because you're eating all unprocessed foods, you're eating lean meats, probably also reduces your risk of cancer because you're eating more fruits and veggies. But one of the things that I want you to also notice is that over the long term, this is where the whole postmenopausal women kind of thing starts is that you're avoiding dairy, right? So anytime that you're avoiding dairy, especially when you're postmenopausal, remember you are a you already have you're you're going to be losing a ton now of bone of bone mass. So if you continue to over time and for the long term eliminate dairy from your diet, your risk of osteoporosis is going to increase. And also your risk of getting enough calcium and vitamin D is also going to be much lower. So over the long term, over the short term, that might not impact you, but over the long term, your risk of developing osteoporosis may be much higher. Your risk of um, breaking your bones probably also higher. So I would just kind of take that into consideration and also your risk of being vitamin D deficient, which also helps with immunity is going to be, um, you're more at risk for a vitamin D deficiency. Also, depending on, because there's lots of variety in these different diets, if you're somebody who is eating lean meat, but really you're eating a lot of red meat, it just may increase your risk of heart disease, especially if you have a, a, a risk of cardiovascular disease. So again, the paleo diet is going to be very different from the 50 carbs, 50% carbs, 30% fat, or 30, 30%, 30% 
oh my gosh, 30% fat, 20% protein. It's going to probably be more, it's going to be less um, carbohydrate and more of a concentration, probably much more protein, a little bit more fat, and then, you know, a less um, carbohydrate. So the composition of what this diet looks like is less. And then lastly, we're going to talk about the ketogenic diet. And the ketogenic diet is was never really intended to be used as a weight loss diet. It was actually um, used, it was started to be used as to help kids that have epilepsy reduce their frequency of seizures. We, that's where the evidence kind of shows. I worked in a hospital and we would also use it for patients, although not, not my population in general, we would use it for patients adult patients that had epilepsy and they would have um, seizures. And so the only way that they could reduce it was to put them on a diet, like a ketogenic diet. And why it works is that, I mean, I don't even know if they know why it works, but basically the ketogenic diet has a macronutrient content where it's really high in fat, low in carbohydrates. So the ketogenic diet may be like 90% fat and like 4% of carbohydrates and 6% protein. And so if you're thinking about like on a normal day, on a 1500 calorie diet, if you're eating like regular carbohydrate content, you would probably have about 185 grams of carbs a day. But on a ketogenic diet, that would probably be much less, like 20 grams of carbohydrates. And so because of that, a lot of people when they go on the ketogenic diet may have some kind of carb withdrawal because you go from like 185 grams of carbs to 20 and that may look like headaches or brain fog. And then also people will say that they have constipation because they're not really eating any, um, they're not really eating a lot of fruits and veggies and then also high cholesterol because the diet is mostly fat and uh, is mostly fat based. So one of the things with the ketogenic diet and why people do it is, is that in normal metabolism, basically you're eating carbohydrates, carbohydrates break down into glucose, and then glucose is used in your body as energy. That's how everything functions because energy gets into the cells and it helps make everything happen in your body. But with the keto diet, what happens is, is that your body is, doesn't have all of that carbohydrate anymore because you're primarily eating fat. So your body breaks down and it switches to this move that it's using fat as an energy source. So it's no longer using, um, like it's no longer using sugar as energy. It's using fat as energy. And so it, what they call is ketosis. Your body breaks down fat and it uses it. It uses it as fuel. And so it sounds great, right? But it's it's very hard to maintain in the long term. Um, if somebody is if actually has epilepsy and is having seizures, the amount I, I suspect that most people probably aren't really even in ketosis. There are probably a lot of varieties of it because if you're really like in true ketosis, you actually have to take in the amount of like carbohydrates in every single medication that you have so that you kind of get into this state that you're like so low carbohydrate that you, that you can maintain this level of being in ketosis. And so 
it's hard to do because there's so many, it used to be very hard to do because MCT oil, medium chain triglycerides back in the day taste terrible. Lots of like food, I think over time, the high fat, like it's just very, it's just not a lot of, um, a lot of options. But nowadays I see so many more keto sources. I feel like when you go to even like, um, there's a Wawa in, in, in Philadelphia. It's like a convenience store. And every time I go in there, it's like all these like new keto, um, keto, like chips and keto, like balls and different keto products. So I think, I think there's more availability with the keto diet because more people are doing it. So there's more products available that probably taste a lot better. So in the short term, the keto di- the ketogenic diet has been shown to reduce your risk of diabetes and also produce weight loss. But in the long term, we don't really know some of the complications because most people don't stay on it for that long. But we suspect that because there is a lower intake of veggies and fruit, it may increase your risk of cardiovascular disease, Alzheimer's, diabetes, um, cancer, kidney disease, you may be more at risk for nutrient deficiencies because you're the low, the carbohydrate um, rate is so low. And then also depending, because it's like very high in fat, I guess, depending on the kind of fats that you eat, that may impact your inflammatory markers because this diet is like the exact opposite of like the four diets that we talked about in the beginning, because the focus is, is on fat. So who should avoid this diet? Well, typically women who are pregnant, those with kidney or liver disease, or those with heart disease, or even those with cancer. Um, And again, who this diet is for is basically in kids or adults who have um, seizures or have an increased frequency of seizures. And this diet is used to decrease that risk of seizures. So all in all, let's kind of talk about what we talked about. So we've talked about dieting. We talked about the four different diets at the top that they're really different lifestyle patterns that are based on plant-based diets and that are based on increasing veggies, fruits, lean proteins, um, low fat dairy that are very flexible, that there's no foods that are forbidden. You're not really watching your calories. We have your two weight loss diets that probably have gained the most notoriety because they have apps and they have, you know, big websites where you're counting calories or points, which is going to be your Weight Watchers and Noom. And so really trying to figure out, um, you know, what that does with your relationship with food. And if that's something that you are, you know, that you are working on. And then lastly, we talked about the last two things, which are the paleo and the keto diets, and really trying to figure out like, you know, really talking about what they are, what the short-term and the long-term benefits are. So for today, I want you to really think about what you can do with this knowledge, right? So first of all, what I would say to you is when you're thinking about, okay, or any of these for me, what, what, what does it look like? How do I want to eat? I would really start to think about like, do you first have a chronic disease that you're managing or that you're trying to prevent? Because this will help see if maybe you need to look at one of the four diets at the beginning. Again, not really diets, but lifestyle. So if you're somebody who is trying to reduce your risk of diabetes, you could probably do any of those four. If you're somebody who's trying to reduce your risk of um, high blood pressure, then I would say focus on the DASH diet. You can, you know, go into your web browser, Google stuff 
from the Dash Diet. You can also look at my podcast episode on that. They'll give you a whole bunch of information in there. And that will provide like really information about different things to eat that you that are going to be really concentrated on the composition of your meals so that you can reduce your risk of disease. Next, I want you to focus on looking at your weight loss for the short or long term. If you're going to be doing something short term, then your lifestyle probably isn't going to need to change for a long period of time, as opposed to if you're doing something for longer term. If you're doing something for longer term, um, in terms of making changes, you want this to be something that you can maintain over a longer period of time and make it a lifestyle. And one of the other things that I would think about too, is that if you decide that you're going to do like Weight Watchers or Noom or something, one of the things that triggers me is being in community that has an emphasis on like external features, right? So although I think it's wonderful to have like a community support and the evidence shows that for health changes, it's really great and really powerful. I want you to look at what the, what that looks like. Right. So like, is that community based on the scale? Is that community based on before and after pictures that have the focus of weights? Is it focused on um, the outwardly appearance or, you know, because that might be a trigger for you. So I think it's important to know, or is the focus more on like the internal stuff? Like, oh my gosh, I'm, I feel like my relationship with food is a little bit better. Is, um, am I in a place that like, you know what I mean? Like you want to, you want to be able to do something that, that really helps your relationship with food. Right. So that's all I'm thinking of. And and if you feel like the community is going to be more based on like, um, what the external you looks like as a, as opposed to the internal you and reducing your risk of disease, you just might want to take that into consideration. And then also, you know, if you choose to do something that's shorter term, how can you start to add food groups back in if you're, if you're, if you're not doing them right now? So if you choose to do something where you're eliminating dairy or, um, dairy or greens, which are probably the the top two that people eliminate, you know, you may need to do some kind of multivitamin during that. You may need to do a calcium supplement, a multivitamin, um, or a vitamin D, not not a calcium supplement, because you're probably going to get calcium in your multivitamin. I would say like a multivitamin or a vitamin D, or at least getting your vitamin D levels checked, and then really starting to prepare yourself with like thinking about how you're going to add those foods back in, because you don't want to do all this work and then all of a sudden be like, oh gosh, if I add these foods in, then my results are going to be completely different, because then maybe you would have chosen to do something at the beginning, and then lastly. I would start to say that the one thing that you can do today is really just kind of write down or start to think about food in a way of not calories, but in a way to fuel yourself in a way that you're changing your relationship with food. So one of the things that I find most helpful is writing down my food, right? Writing down, I think it it really helps me stay on track. But one of the things that I don't feel like is helpful is the calorie content. Because the calorie content isn't going to take into consideration any of the things that I'm eating. And I think what happens with calories is it can be this way of like, hey, I'm really worthy today because I ate within my calorie range. Whereas if you don't meet that goal, then somehow you're unworthy. 
And so I would focus on more like using journal prompts, like looking at what you ate and feeling like what provided you good fuel, what made you feel good, what made you feel like you had more energy, um, what did you eat and how did you eat today that was going to take you closer to your goal. I'm sorry, I'm looking at my own journal prompts to see. Um, what did you learn about how you ate today? What did you learn that would be helpful? You know, like that kind of stuff, which is going to provide you with more information than calories, which isn't really going to provide you with anything. It's just going to, it's just going to play that game with you. Like the scale does, whether you're worthy enough or you're not worthy enough. So I think using journal prompts sometimes is way more helpful than calorie because it can really take you to a place that you can see what works for you, what doesn't work for you. And it also helps not only your relationship with food, but the mindset piece, the internal factor that really ever isn't taken into account when we talk about diets. So I hope that you found this episode helpful and, you know, certainly email me any questions that you have at info at trishard.com. I don't always like to talk about diets because I feel like, oh yeah, yeah, it's just this you know, I'm in a place and I think that I'm trying to emphasize this place of healing when it comes to food. But I also feel like that I, you know, as a dietitian, I can be that person that provides insight into both ways because I do recognize that different things work for different people. And I myself have done Weight Watchers and I've checked into Newman different things and I've done different things in the past too. And so you have to do what you feel is right for you, but I wanted to kind of give you some things to think about in either direction. So I will see you guys back here next week and thanks so much for listening. Have a great week.